Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady and I'm here with the founder and host of Manufacturing Talk Radio, Mr. Lou Weiss. And joining us today is Nick Icavella, who is a Senior Vice President for Public Affairs and Communications at a great organization called the Coalition for a Prosperous America. Nick, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Well, pleased to have you here and because I don't know everything that CPA does, can you share with our viewers and listeners what does the Coalition for a Prosperous America do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're a, a bipartisan national trade association based in Washington, D.C., and our main purpose is to represent domestic manufacturers uh, in D.C., uh, with members of Congress, with the Biden administration, or, you know, whoever else may be president, you know, at some point in the future. Um, but the thing that makes us particularly, uh, I think, uh, exclusive is that all of our members have domestic production, you know, so there's a lot of groups that operate in D.C. that claim to represent manufacturers and workers and the companies are headquartered here and they do all of their manufacturing overseas, you know, likely in China or Southeast Asia. Um, so, you know, what makes us unique and I think what gives us a, a really good mission is that uh, we just represent the domestic manufacturers and the hardworking men and women that they employ. And those are the issues that we work on. So uh, if, if we support something, you know, we strongly believe that it's going to create uh, good paying jobs in this country. We're going to boost domestic production and the manufacturing sector and, and other uh, sectors that are critical to our economy. And, and so that's what we're doing every day. We're meeting with people on the Hill. We're meeting with the Biden administration, uh, key officials, and trying to advance these causes. So that being said, uh, with 10.8 million jobs open in the United States as of a few days ago. How are we handling that? Well, are you talking about just uh, manufacturing jobs or, you know, just well, jobs in a, general? A broad, it's a broad paint stroke. Well, I think uh, when COVID happened, that certainly, you know, we lost a lot of jobs. And one of the things that if you pay attention to what the White House has been saying recently, um, you know, the president's created a lot of jobs. You know, this is certainly true. I think it depends on your definition of created, um, you know, not to get into too much detail, but we've basically recovered all those jobs that we lost during the pandemic, which is a great sign. Uh, we've had a resurgence of, of domestic manufacturing. And I think the pandemic really uh, woke Congress up to the fact that we don't produce a lot of, of products in this country. You know, just things like PPE, for example, we learned pretty quick in the pandemic that, you know, we don't make a lot of those and they're necessary. And in times of crisis, uh, that's, that's when we really feel the pain of having offshore that production. Um, but there's still a lot of jobs out there that need to be filled. You know, the, the chairman of, our comp, uh, of CPA, uh, he has a tool and die company. You know, when I talk with him, he'd like to expand. He has he has very high quality job positions that are open. You know, um, they make incredible products, uh, including stuff for the F-35, which 
you know, if you think about that's our, our most awesome, you know, fighter that, that the U.S. government and military are operating. And it's awesome that we have a great American company, you know, making uh, components for the F-35, you know, and they do plenty of other stuff too, but that's just one example. You know, we have a lot of good jobs that we can fill. I think it starts with education. You know, too many people today are locked into, I need to go to high school. I need to get a four-year college degree. I need to get a master's degree. I have to go to law school. I have to become a doctor to have a good career, you know, support a family, um, save money for retirement, send your kids to school, maybe take a nice vacation at least once a year. You know, that's not necessarily true. You know, certainly there's plenty of Americans that have taken that path. Uh, but, you know, somebody that has a, a high school degree, you know, or uh, went into the trades and works a manufacturing job. I mean, these are really high quality jobs. And if you go around the country, you know, I was listening to J.D. Vance the other day talk about where he's from, Appalachicola and, and uh, you know, the area he represents in Ohio. We used to have hundreds of thousands of those kinds of jobs in that part of the country and, you know, plenty of other communities too. And when we offshored them, that community was really hit hard. Um, but, you know, those people working in those factories, they supported their family. You know, they were able to send their kids, you know, to college or wherever else they needed to go to, to build a good life. And they were manufacturing workers. Um, so I think it really starts with, with the education level and, and letting people know that there's these opportunities out there and they're important and we need to keep bringing production back to create more opportunities just like that. We had a gentleman on our show yesterday from the 601 uh, welder uh, union in uh, Wisconsin. Oh, awesome. Who talked about a lot of what you're now talking about and the, the fact that the uh, apprentice program after five years, you can really make a lot of money. Uh, and I threw in what I know about it because uh, these hands don't do a lot of that stuff. But the bottom line is that, uh, take, for example, an underwater welder can earn $150,000 a year income plus pension, plus this, plus, plus, plus. And he doesn't have a $200,000 college debt so yeah absolutely so there's a lot of things that i think that parents need to be taught and shown about what they could do for their kids without raising a huge debt and give their kids a good viable life yeah that that's a great point um and you know that's something i didn't mention but there's so many students today graduating with tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. You know, and there's, there's been some talk at the federal level about, you know, forgiving some of that debt, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of questions about the fairness of that. But I think, you know, even just bringing ourselves above, you know, looking at the problem, if you're coming out of school with that level of debt, and you're not getting a high quality, high wage job, you're going to have a tough time starting out in your early 20s, you know, maybe late 20s, even into your early 30s, you know, whereas a job like an underwater welder, which, uh, you know, we actually 
know a family friend who does that. He does incredible. And, uh, you know, I mean, he loves his job. He makes a great living and he never has any debt from school, you know, and, and, uh, he's been doing it for quite some time. He's got a great pension and benefits and he's part of a union, which, you know, um, really supports him. And they do a lot of great work. I, I think I didn't mention this, but there's really a role for the unions in this too. You know, I think sometimes too much like partisan politics gets caught up with, you know, whether people like unions or not, but they do a great job. And and I think we really need to leverage them to continue educating, not just parents, but young people about what these kinds of jobs are, you know, what, what they'll be doing, what the pay is, what kind of life they can have. So uh, that's something I think it's really important too. Nick, I know when you and I spoke on the phone, I was impressed to hear that the Coalition for a Prosperous America is involved in things like reshoring, uh, bringing pharmaceutical production back to this country because God forbid mm-hmm. we have another pandemic event and we can't get what we need because we don't make it here. Uh, China buying up American farmland, uh, and other countries as well, all those kinds of events that could become very adverse in what is becoming a particularly frayed world. Uh, I just want to mention that so that our listeners understand a bit more of what CPA addresses. Yeah, we, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't really get into our industries, but we represent, you know, a very wide swath of industries. Um, in the U.S. economy, and, and pharmaceuticals is one. Um, renewables, uh, steel pipe, you know, I mentioned tool and dye, um, plastic molding, textiles. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and the pharmaceuticals, I think, really post-pandemic, uh, what we've seen in the last year, which has been incredibly encouraging, is lots of members of Congress are talking about this on both sides of the aisle. And, you know, I, I always joke, I, I used to work for Senator Marco Rubio. And when, when you have Marco Rubio and Elizabeth Warren, you know, saying publicly that something's a problem, you know, most people know they're not ideologically on the same line. And, <laughs> but they, they do work very well together in the Senate, you know, despite what some people may see on TV and things like that. Um, you know, they, they've partnered together on some really, you know, great pieces of legislation. And when you have folks like that agreeing that something's a problem, that just lets you know that, that this isn't really an issue that uh, lawmakers are viewing from a, a partisan lens. It's not a Republican or a Democrat issue. You know, it's just a crisis that we need to fix. And we've been working really around the clock this year um, on some legislation that would really help to reshore a lot of these supply chains and boost domestic production of generic drugs, which most people are familiar with, you know, your brand name drugs and how much those drug companies make, you know, they're ginormous, uh, how much they charge, you know, for, for a prescription. But what they're not familiar with is our generic drug supply, you know, which is the issue that we're working on. So it's totally separate from the brand name drugs. Generics account for 90% of prescriptions dispensed in this country. You know, so if you're taking a drug, there's a great chance it's a generic. And, you know, you probably have 
you, it, it's definitely a lot cheaper than the brand name. Um, but it's not just a drug shortage problem. It's also the safety and the quality of these drugs. Uh, one in four prescriptions is coming from a foreign manufacturer that the FDA has cited as non-compliant, you know, which means they've given them uh, a warning letter or form 483. You know, that's technical speak for really bad manufacturing practices. And the FDA actually characterizes that as significant violations of FDA regulations. Uh, just, just one example, uh, Lupin Pharmaceuticals is an Indian multinational generic pharmaceutical manufacturer. They've received you know, warning letters recently. Uh, the number one leading cause of death among Americans is heart disease. And one of the medications you take for that is lisinopril. Um, it, it's fairly common. If you talk to your doctor, they know exactly what it is. Uh, according to industry data, Lupin has 85% of the market in the U.S. just for lisinopril. And they've been dinged by the FDA for violating good manufacturing practices. They've had multiple warning letters, recalls. You know, so we don't want to be dependent on these bad actor uh, companies overseas. You know, so it, it's it's even bigger than the drug shortage problem. And you know, that's something we're really working to educate people on. Um, definitely members of Congress. Uh, it, it's a big issue. You have to start somewhere. You know, if you look at it as a whole, it looks almost uh, insurmountable. But we have to start. You know, making some of these products here and at least addressing some that are on shortage currently. Nick, I have to, you brought up a story that just happened to me yesterday. So I'm going to, it's a two minute story. There's a, there's a particular medication that I take and I've been taking it for 10 years. And um, somebody told me at the drugstore, why don't you take the generic? I said, oh, I didn't know it has a generic. So, well, they told me the whole story and the brand is $678 every two months. I said, oh, okay, how much is the generic? Oh, $678 every two months. Well, why am I taking a generic versus the brand? Well, yeah. that you'll have to take up with your insurance company. That's the other racket that exists. So yeah, you're exactly I'm right. Consulting any insurance company, I hope that you're <laughs> pissed at me. <laughs> yeah, there's uh there's actually we we call them middlemen. They're called pharmacy benefit managers, and they're a huge part of the problem. And uh, the Senate just had a hearing on this a few weeks ago, you know, and and the PBMs were, you know, they love to say that they get discounts for consumers. And you know, when the senators dug in on this, they said, you know, well, we see that you're getting a discount from the manufacturer when you purchase a large quantity of medicine, but you're selling it for an exponentially increased value, you know, into the U.S. healthcare market. So where exactly is a discount benefiting the American patient, the consumer? And they don't have a good answer for that. And the reason why is they love foreign manufacturers because manufacturers in China and India, uh, they're subsidized by their state governments, you know, so they can they can afford to take a loss every year. Um, it turns out that you know to make drugs in a high quality way is expensive, 
Our own members will tell you that. You know, it's why they've invested literally hundreds of millions of dollars in this country to manufacture drugs, not just to the FDA standard, but to the highest possible standard that they can. And overseas, it's different. Um, I mean, some of the warning letters that I've read, if your doctor told you, I'm going to put you on this generic, it's coming from a, a facility in India called Dr. Reddy's. And by the way, they had a, a warning letter for bacteria and microbial contamination and you know, they, they didn't have some testing and they actually falsified a lot of their tests, but anyway, it's cheap. So I'm going to give it to you. (laughs) You're you're not going to tell them, oh yeah, doc, absolutely. Give me that one. You know, you're going to say, wait a minute. But the problem is a lot of, most doctors, they don't have that information. Um, We work with a a great doctor from the Cleveland clinic. He, he was a heart, a cardiologist for years incredibly smart guy. He's very passionate about ensuring that Americans have access to safe, affordable, quality medicine. He told us a story there. He had a heart transplant patient. So, you know, literally cuts the heart out, puts a new one in. You take a drug called tacrolimus when you're a transplant patient so that your body doesn't reject the new organ. So you can imagine, you know, for somebody getting a heart transplant, Having tacrolimus that works is incredibly important. So his patient was doing great. Then a few years later, um, you know, the, our, our doctor that advised us, he retired. His patient calls him and says, I've been having a lot of health issues. And, you know, they said, I, I need a new transplant. And this is a serious problem. So he said, let me look into this. He found out that they changed the manufacturer of the tacrolimus to a one in India it wasn't dissolving properly. So the drug wasn't working. I mean, just imagine how many times this is happening in this country. Thankfully, they found out, they put him back on the original manufacturer. He's healthy now, the patient, he doesn't need a second heart transplant. You know, but uh, there's always a conversation about cost to the healthcare system. You know, brand name drugs cost so much, a surgery costs so much. We don't actually know what the remittance rate is for bad drugs from overseas manufacturers that are causing patients to have to be remitted to the hospital. You know, but even just a, a, a conservative estimate is that this is in the billions of dollars a year that's costing our healthcare system because Americans are taking bad generic drugs from foreign manufacturers that have demonstrated a repeated pattern of violating FDA regulations. So that's just another piece of this, you know, problem that that we we work on and you know try to educate members of Congress about. Nick, you're with the Coalition for Prosperous America. You just laid out a very serious problem that we all know different degrees of, and I just laid out my own personal story a moment ago. Do we have a solution? Do we have an idea of what the solution is? Does the coalition of prosperous America, does the Congress, the senators, the congressmen, the farmers, do they have a solution or are we just stuck with where we are? So I'll say, you know, for everybody, listen, the bad news is it's a serious problem. The good news is we do have solutions. Um, it's more than one. Uh, and we're, we're working to actually get these signed into law this year. Um, 
So I, I like to think about it really in three different buckets. Uh, the, the first is that the FDA as an organization just really needs to be reformed from the inside out. You know, Congress needs to actually hold this, this agency accountable. There's no reason that we should continue to reward bad actor foreign manufacturers that continue to demonstrate you know, bad manufacturing practices. And so we have legislation that would actually mandate that the FDA, you know, begin to actually do their job and conduct an oversight. Um, but the FDA is in a, between a rock and a hard place. If, if all of our supply is coming from bad manufacturers and the FDA shuts them down, we have no supply at all. And, you know, they'll tell us that that's why, you know, we can't cut off supply from these manufacturers, even though they continue to just do bad things. But that's really not an acceptable answer. Um, and so that's why bucket number two is to increase domestic manufacturing of generic drugs in this country. And that really takes a mixture of, uh, of different policies. But, you know, most, most importantly uh, is we're working on a tax credit legislation for companies uh, to actually produce products here. So if, if you're a domestic producer of generic drugs, then you know, you'll get a tax credit in order to, can, to boost supply, or if you wanna make a capital expenditure to invest in new facilities in this country, um, you know, new, new productive capacity, um, there'll be a tax credit there. Uh, we've, we've already seen how successful this is in other industries. Um, most recently in the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, there was a, a huge package in there for renewable energy. Um, you know, this is batteries, uh, solar, wind. Literally tens of billions of dollars have been announced in new investment in this country to expand capacity. And I like to tell people, you know, uh, I tell my friends who are Democrats, you know, if, if saving the planet and, you know, going green is that important to you, I hope you would agree that the, our nation's supply of drugs is at least as important that we should be doing the same thing, you know, and, and the argument for my Republican friends is that we're dependent on foreign adversaries like China, you know, for these products. And in times of crisis, you know, we, we need to have a supply here. And thankfully a lot of them are uh, kind of ditching the old Republican ways of, you know, let's let the free market decide. And, you know, I, I was a finance major in college. I took economics. Um, it's nice in a classroom. It doesn't work in the real world. You know, when, when China and India are subsidizing their, their own state, you know, champions at the expense of ours, uh, we have to take some action. You know, it, it's too critical of a sector, you know, for us to just stand by. So, um, and then we need the federal government, you know, DOD, wholly dependent on China for medicine. You know, let's get some real Buy America uh, solutions in place that, if, if it's domestically available, the federal government needs to buy from a domestic producer. And, and I say, you know, Buy America kind of loosely because our current Buy America standards have so many loopholes. It really means, you know, Buy America or 47 other countries. <laughs> you know, and, and that's just not, uh, it's not the intent of the law, at least in my mind. And I would think most Americans would agree. If the federal government's going to buy American, it should actually be a company that manufactures, you know, on American soil. 
you know, not in another country. So that's what we're working on. It's a huge effort, but you know, it, it's good for well, the country. We, I, we can't afford to be, to fail on it. We would like to help you out in that mission. Uh, when you and I talked on the phone, I would love to have any articles you want to submit to our manufacturing outlook easing to help publish uh, the content that you're producing to get the word out. We're tight on time. I really appreciate you being with us. And clearly, we're going to have to have you back on another show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Nick. And I'm not sure we came up with a solution, but it sounds like you know the direction that we have to go. Yeah, that's right. We're working. <laughs> uh, you, you sound like you are. And what you learned in college was that you need to uh, be doing a lot more in terms of finding ways to find a solution. College doesn't give it to you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. Thanks a lot for being with us. We'll talk to you. Tim, thank you very much. Be well. Thank you both. Bye for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.